Today I'm passing the mic with founder and CEO of Artist Collective, Evan Price. How are you today, Evan? Pretty good. How are you, man? I'm always good. Uh, good. The listeners may be able to hear my voice. I'm slightly tired still, not fully awake, but uh, I have been up for at least 15 minutes. Uh, so, <laughs> at least 15. <laughs> yeah, at least. It's impressive. <laughs> and uh, if this video does end up working, very rarely will people see me in a ball cap. That, that never happens uh, on a podcast, right? So that's a rarity to cherish and enjoy. Um, today, we're looking at the four elements to scale a creative business. And I love this idea. And while I'm sure there are some people who are happy with where they're at, I would assert that anyone tuning in today is looking to scale. So when you say creative business, do you mean any creative business, info products, coaching, music, visual art, anything else I could name? Yeah, mainly the first couple that you named, I would say. Um, But yeah, pretty much all these elements can be applied to any creative business. But yes, info products, service providers, freelancers, coaches, course creators in the creative realm. I think we're just in a, uh, a time where people are realizing, oh, I, my expertise matters and I can generate revenue from it. So yeah, really around those, but yeah, visual artists as well, um, I think can take these four elements and implement it into their business to get more results. Okay. Really great. I'm a coach. I have many info products. You might know that already. So I'm listening with rapt attention. How do I scale my (laughs) business, Evan? Okay. So the first element is building an offer. And I can certainly draw my own conclusions about what that means. Uh, I would love to hear how you frame that. And that, why is that the first element? Yeah, first element being building an irresistible offer around your existing expertise. Um, and I think this is this is really powerful because creatives have a tendency to have shiny object syndrome and be like, I'm going to focus on all these things I could do. And in turn, nothing ends up taking off. So instead of like, instead of looking at everything, um, look at your biggest expertise that, that you have, that gives you the biggest edge and build that offer around there first. Um, and what I mean by irresistible, I mean, you use emotion and you're going to hear this word a lot in this talk because, um, we are emotional beings. And if you're trying to sell and you're trying to create revenue, people buy from emotion, not logic. So if you can build the offer around the emotion behind what your audience is feeling, you'll be able to sell without actually selling. They're going to sell themselves. So um, really finding out exactly what your offer is and why your potential audience wants to solve it and I mean like the deep questions, like what's keeping them up at night? Like what, what's humiliating them because they haven't solved their problem? If you can get them to tell you what that is, like I said, you're not, you're not, you're not selling, you're just providing a solution. So first I think is looking at what it is you're already doing. What's that lowest hanging fruit you're already doing? Um, that you can build an offer. Maybe that's coaching. Maybe it's a course. Maybe it's an actual service that you provide. Um, But looking at those elements first, I think are really, really important. You know, one thing by way of comment, I heard my coach say the other day, he focuses on one thing per week. 
I thought that's such a great idea. And it's a hard thing to do for sure. I, we, we're in a busy industry, whether it's creative or entertainment or music or some combination thereof, which is what many of us are now getting into and, and then kind of homing in on niche audiences. But I sort of take it to mean like I might have other assignments or I might do client work, but in my own business, focus on one thing per week. And that would help me get to my offer faster, or that would help me get to the right framing for the product. And the other thing about what you said about emotion behind the offer, and I think you're absolutely right and sounds simple, but people do miss this. So what mistakes are people making by sharing the logic of what their product is? It's the whole difference of features versus benefits, right? They want to like, shove the the value down their throats like oh but it comes with 12 weeks of courses and videos and worksheets and and this and that or maybe it's just like oh i'll give you the video um if you're a video editor or something like that's cool that's the features but people don't buy from features they buy from benefits how is that thing going to benefit their life how is that service going to solve their problem again going back to emotion you have to really figure out what the deep problem your service or product is is solving for the for your customer, um, and then be able to dive into that and see if it actually will help them. So, yeah, it's that that lot that selling the features I think can harm your business too, especially in the coaching realm. If I'm on the other end and I'm being sold a coaching program or like a course or something, and I tell you there's there's hey there's plenty of stuff there's 175 videos that's actually going to make me not want to buy it because that just sounds like work. People don't want work; they want results. So you just have to frame it in a way that selling the big transformation over the thing that they get. If that makes sense. No, it's so true. People don't care about the stuff. And I'm a big believer in over-delivering. So I want people to be pleasantly surprised when they buy the book. There are 14 video lessons, but I don't want people to be shocked and overwhelmed by, oh no, there's going to be 14 video lessons too. And I have to know how those work and learn everything from them to master this. Don't want people to feel that way. That's for sure. Yeah, we an example too. We have a client who creates custom love songs for people's weddings, right? They've they're already paying up tens and thousands of dollars for wedding stuff, okay? The last thing they want to do is spend on something else. If you're just like, "Hey, you're you're going to get a song, you're going to get an MP3, you're going to have the rights." They don't care about that. So, once they started selling from this point of view and saying, "Listen, wouldn't it be great to dance to a song that's just yours and not the ten tens of thousands of songs everyone dances to at their wedding? Wouldn't it be great to have something that you can hold on to? Like the flowers will wilt, you know, the food will be consumed, those memories will eventually fade, but the song will always be there. Now I'm selling from emotion, not logic. So people think they want to buy and they're they're asking all these logical questions. That's that side of the brain. But people actually make those big decisions off of emotion. So just a good example of how you can reframe a product or service to, to touch on those things. Yeah, the wedding market is a brilliant one because people spend tens of thousands of dollars on their weddings. And it's a one-time celebration. But because it's a one-time celebration, well, for some people more, but, you know, we won't get into divorce here. They do end up spending a lot on emotion. That has a lot to do with it. It's like, we're going to get a caterer, but you pay a premium on a wedding caterer, right? 
you could a normal caterer is probably a fifth of the price and so a lot is purchased on emotion there that's brilliant the second element is to create content that attracts your ideal customer and i think most people listening to this will be familiar with digital content video podcasts info or infographics blog posts is that primarily what we're talking about and how does content contribute to scaling your business yeah. Number two element is definitely creating content that attracts your ideal audience. Again, using emotion. You're not just going to make a post and be like, I've got a course and it's 138 videos long and it's going to teach you how to do this. No, you're going to present that transformation. So yeah, content can mean a lot of things. Like you said, it could be blog posts. It could be short form content, which is really king right now as we see it. Um, long form content. It could be tweets. It could be copy in a Facebook post. All of that is content and you want to hit on those emotional pieces. So again, if you haven't mastered number one, which is creating an irresistible offer around using the, those emotional pieces. So figuring out what are the 20 things your client is is feeling because they don't have your product or service, it's going to be hard for you to make that content because you're just going to be like, you know, throwing crap at the wall, hoping something sticks. You want to really figure out what it is they're feeling and what feelings they want to feel, right? They want to avoid the bad stuff and get the good stuff. So figure that out, what, what that means for your specific product, speaking generally, of course, um, and then just create that content. And also something to mention is Create the content that, you know, the Gary V approach is just like, be everywhere and do all the things. Like, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Start with, again, the lowest hanging fruit. What are you the most comfortable creating? Are you like, uh, you know, great on radio? Cool. Start a podcast. Are you a great writer, but you're not really comfortable on video? Great. Start a blog or just focus on Facebook because that's a lot of like text heavy stuff. Focus on what you're good at and then grow those skills and then move it over to another platform. There is enough people on one single platform that you can like make hundreds and thousands of dollars on and you could never touch Twitter or TikTok. So you do not have to be everywhere. Start with the lowest hanging fruit, what you're most comfortable creating and doing and go from there. But use emotion always. That's really great. I think uh, Russell Brunson would agree with you as well. Dan Kennedy has his no BS letter. I was subscribed to it for a bit, hoping to resubscribe once I have a permanent address again. I've been living nomadically for about 10 months, but his no BS letter, he specifically says, look, I'm actually, you, you don't know it, but I'm actually feeding you about 20 to 40% content and 60 to 80% story, emotion, examples, right? That's what, that's how the newsletter gets read. It doesn't get read because it's like a, how to do this step by step, one step at a time. And there is great information in there. But the reason why you come away feeling like inspired and wanting to get into action at the end of the newsletter is because there's plenty of stuff in there throughout that's like inspiring you and wanting you, motivating you to get up and take action. So, and I've heard people say the same thing on, on podcasts too, that like when their newsletter used to be about informational content, how to do this, people did not engage as much as, hey, here's my new cat. <laughs> so sometimes just the stories about what's going on in your life, people are more interested in that. Yeah, relate it to them in some kind of a way. 
Because in the end, people don't care about you and your thing and what you have to say or what you're doing. They care about them. We're egotistical (laughs) just by nature. So feed into that when you think about your content. Yeah, really good. Absolutely. Uh, What was it? W-I-I-F-M? What's in it for me? That's that's the station (laughs) people are always tuned into. (laughs) I've never heard that before. It's great. (laughs) No, I I know we're only two elements in, so maybe I'm jumping the kind of thing. But is content really enough? You know, we double, triple, quadruple down on content at Music Entrepreneur HQ. And our traffic has had many peaks and valleys. Of course, we've been around a while. And it had a clear ROI at first. And now we're kind of spending more time looking at how we can repurpose what we've already got because we have a ton of stuff. What do you think? It's really just about focusing on like a platform and making sure you're touching on the emotional piece. Or are there instances where maybe content isn't enough. Yeah. I mean, I see content as the bait on the end of a fishing line, right? Right. It's just one of the many ways that you can attract your audience to you. And we're all, that's, that's the commodity we're all after is people's attention. Hey, look at this thing. Did did I convince you yet? Like, here's a story about somebody who's kind of like you, like, like you said, what's in it for me? Like, how can you get their attention? And right now in this, in 2023, as we're recording this, it is content. Um, mm. But mm. I think that's just the start of it. It's not like content and then it's over. Um, to me, also another form of content kind of is conversations. This is how we are going to not be taking taken over by AI. So it's going to make us mm-hmm. stand apart from that is great. You've got their attention. Most people don't know what to do with it. Then like have a conversation with your clients, like a real conversation, not like a mini chat bot, like you or somebody from your team. So once you got them hooked, most people, you know, choke and they're like, great, I got all this attention. I went viral. What the heck do I do now? Have a conversation, actually reach out to them, ask them questions. What are you dealing with? What emotions are you feeling? Going back to the number one thing, creating that irresistible offer around emotions, ask them stuff. That's what's going to help you scale. Like I said, most people making content just because all the gurus are telling them, but they don't have a plan after that. They don't know what to do. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, We focused on capturing email addresses, which always felt like the right thing to do because you just never know when these platforms could change or your account could be deleted. So having some kind of backup plan for all that really makes uh makes a really big difference in in everything but you're right it's like now that i have a big piece of content (laughs) and i've gone i don't know not viral necessarily but like on a small scale on things that had nothing to do with my industry and music which sometimes had me going should i pivot in that direction and talk more about mindset and spirituality is that what people really want (laughs) but i guess those are things you figure out as you go too Going back to what you said about emails, um, for the longest time I was in the, the the old school music industry. I was an artist manager. I did promotions. Um, I worked with bands and artists and like try to do just the, the typical artist building stuff. And that was a big piece of it too. All these artists knew that needed to get email addresses, but then they would get them and do nothing with them. Right. It's like, great, you got all the stuff. Now, what do you do? They are so confused and they're just like sending email blasts, like my new singles out. Like, no, that's not using emotion. You're just telling them the thing that you have. 
How can you connect with them? How can you build an actual actual rapport with them using that email address? So like I said, I think a lot of creatives are like stuck in this loop of, cool, I'm doing all the, all the right things. I'm posting all the content, but then they don't know the other steps. They're missing the, the front piece and they're missing the back piece. They're just like good at content. So figuring out a plan to actually connect with your audience, whether that's email, TikTok, Twitter, blogs, like figure out what the next step would be um, or find somebody who has that plan who can help you implement that. Mm. And I would also agree with you that the human connection pit, so important. Um, AI can only offer so much and I'm still not sure if it's sentient or self-aware. We may, maybe we're getting mighty close, but we're, I don't think we're there yet. Article compilers and speech emulators and 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 graphic manglers like that's really all we're talking about at this point. Once we, once we're getting beyond that, then then we might have unique content. But as it stands now, it's taking what's out there and putting it together in kind of unique. Which, in theory, isn't that what creativity is? I was on a podcast yeah. the other day that was all about totally. creativity. Creativity is just innovation. It's taking what already exists and making something new from it. So. In theory, the AI is that that's really what they're doing. They. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been playing guitar for over 20 years. And the thing that I took away from someone like Eric Johnson was the fact that, hey, I took aspects of Stevie Ray Vaughan and I took aspects of Jimi Hendrix and Wes Montgomery and I put them all together in a blender. And I'm like, yeah, I, I actually really believe in that because I also see far too many artists at open mic who are like, well, I love Jackson Brown. And then so a whole their song sound like Jackson Brown. You're like, cool. And at the same time, what if you blended that with your own personality and other things you love? And that's always been my thing. Like, so I blended together Noodle Bencourt and Van Halen and Eric Johnson and others to come up with your own, my own style. So I think you're right. Creativity really is like, Let's take it from a few different sources and then see what can combine to create. Yeah. And then you have the other extreme too. You've got those musicians or artists that are just like, I refuse to say I sound like anyone. It's just like, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Definitely innovate, be super different, but it's okay to take inspiration from other people um, and still not sound just like them. So you have those two extremes on, on with those artists, in my experience, well, at least. Those are the funniest ones. And, you know, maybe I'm pushing some buttons in this show. I'm not sure. But those are the funniest ones to me because they'll show up and play the same four chords you hear in all pop songs. And it's like, how are you different? <laughs> yeah, there's only so many notes you can play. <laughs> do, do you play notes? Do you play chords? You're you're not unique. Sorry to say, <laughs> you know, it got invented a long time ago. Um, <laughs> Beethoven and right. the, Be the Beatles are part of your DNA, whether you like it or not. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, so the third element is developing a selling mindset. And I, and I can already see how that would be critical. What does a selling mindset mean to you in this context? Yeah, number three, developing a selling mindset is something that is a skill most creatives struggle with. I won't lie. They struggle with acting too salesy or slimy or pushy. If you feel that way, you probably are being pushy. You are being too salesy. Again, going back to the, 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 the E word of the day, emotion. You sell with emotion. 
this is what you do. This is a, this is the selling mindset. This one strategy helped me scale my business. And I had no sales experience. Like I never even worked a sales job. And I was just like, oh gosh, I have to sell this high ticket offer. Okay, let's go. What I did is instead of getting on the call, um, assuming you're getting on like a, a call for a high ticket coaching or how, however you're selling, you're talking with a prospect. Instead of just saying, cool, I've got this thing. It's going to do this stuff for you. Like, this is how much it is. You want to lead them to, they, you want to, you want to lead them to it naturally. And you do that by asking questions about their struggles. Get them to tell you about their problems. How long have you been experiencing this problem? Um, how is it humiliating you? Like, how how are you feeling? How is it how is it like bringing down your well-being by not having this problem solved? Then all you need to do is present your product or service as a solution to that to that problem. And they will literally sell themselves. But the important piece is you need them to say it. It's a, it's a psychological thing. If you just tell them how they feel, you're talking at them. That's when you feel salesy. That's the used car salesman is just like, no, you don't need that. You need this one. But if he asked you, he or she asked you questions that led you to the to the decision of, yeah, the the, the car that you're looking at actually isn't the right thing for you. They're going to sell themselves. So if you can like embrace that and just like connect with them, don't actually sell solve problems. You don't sell stuff, you solve problems, you sell emotion. So it is a skill you need to you need to master. And a lot of a lot of creatives just want to like get their thing out there, use content and have people go to their website and press buy and they're just like swimming in cash like Don, you know, Scrooge McDuck. It's not going to happen like that. You've got to actually work on this skill um, and you know, work with somebody who can help you. That's that's what helped me. I work with a coach that really helped um, me dial that skill in and, you know, that's what we're helping our clients do as well. Yeah. It's, it's a bridge, right? So you get content, you put it out there, people are resonating and interacting and engaging with it. And so then how are you going to bridge it to the sale? And I think a big piece of this that I've discovered is it has a lot to do with your beliefs around money, uh, whether mm -hmm. you sell or how hard you sell or how much you sell. And a book that makes all the difference is uh, Dan Kennedy's No BS Wealth Attraction in the New Economy. Excellent work. If you can somehow get a hold of his speech, even better. You probably can't find that without being a member of uh, Magnetic Marketing or something like that. But it's going to change how you think about hard-earned dollar. You hear that all the time, hard-earned dollar. Dan Kennedy says, no such thing. If you think that way, you're not going to sell. Uh, he mm -hmm. says, you know... Uh, I'm feeling sorry for taking this guy's last dollar. And Dan Kennedy says, if you feel bad for that, you're never going to make much money. And so there's just mm -hmm. so many things that can come up where you may relent, you may stop, you may not want to push for the sale. And yet it ends up benefiting both of you when it actually happens as a value exchange. Yeah. Um, changing your relationship with money, um, removing that limiting belief that you may have from childhood or whatever money trauma that you're experiencing, you've got to move past it. First, you got to face it and say, cool, how do I see money? If you like, 
exactly what you said. If you feel bad for taking people's money, you will never scale your creative business or any business. You are solving a problem, a problem that you have, if you use the approach I just said, if you are leading them to say, cool, you got this problem, you've been dealing with it for 10 years, you've you know spent all this money and done all these things and nothing's working, like, is it, re- is it time for you to, to, to solve this? You are giving them a solution. You're not taking money from them. You're actually giving them a solution. So just rethink the way that you you think about money. Um, and it makes that selling just a heck of a lot, a lot easier, like truly. Yeah. And these money beliefs are subtly and not so subtly implanted everywhere you go. And so it's just a matter of paying attention to the things that are commonly being said. Oh, the economy is so bad. Okay. But if you take that at face value, again, it implants a limiting belief around, oh, well, economy is bad. I should not sell. So everything you have to be mindful of. Yeah. What I, what I hear a lot. So what we do is we help um, what we, what I call artistpreneurs. We help artistpreneurs coaching um, who are coaching or like music teachers or freelancers. We help them package their hourly lessons into high ticket offers that are like, instead of Mm -hmm. like by the hour, it's like 10 week program. I'm going to help you with this transformation. That is a big limiting belief that happens. Nobody wants to spend a thousand dollars or $3,000 on a, on a, uh, a drum teacher. If you think that they never will, because people are, people actually are adults, not even just children are trying to learn music. Adults are wanting to learn the cello, the violin, drums, singing, and they will pay high ticket to actually get the result. So if you can dial in heavily on the emotion, like, what do you want to do to learn drums? Are you trying to like tour the world? Are you trying to join this band, the band of your dreams? That's the emotion we're talking about. They are people who are out there willing to pay a luxury price point to pay somebody to help them fast track their learning instead of just going to YouTube and feeling overwhelmed. So there is a luxury price point for whatever you're doing, even in the creative realm. So I truly believe that starving artist mentality is hopefully slowly going away. I, I knew we would get along the moment I read your bio there, Evan, because there's only so many people who will say music business is made up of two words, music and business, and business <laughs> often gets ignored. <laughs> Absolutely spot on. I know that yeah. there were multiple, multiple music businesses under the guidance of proper coaching that did incredible throughout the pandemic. And many of them did revolve around lessons, as you say. So people are and were paying. In fact, they were probably paying more for entertainment and courses during the pandemic than not. So, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Our business started booming in 2020. And I'll tell you why. People were losing their jobs, their stable jobs, right? Their accounting jobs, their their law jobs, their office jobs. And they were... They were stuck and feeling like, wow, this isn't even safe. Why am I not just doing what I love and going all in on myself? So they they were they were frantically looking around for some assistance. And uh, my company and a lot of other companies were there to say, hey, we've got you. We can help you. And they, they have these stimulus checks and unemployment and tons of time. So they threw themselves into it. So you're absolutely right. It definitely helped some people, especially in the creative realm. And we saw people yeah. live streaming every second of every day, playing yeah. shows from their bathrooms and living rooms and learning how to play an instrument. So um, yeah, 
removing that limiting belief of like a recession or you know you know the economy's bad you just got to remove that and just keep moving because there's people out there at any time that don't necessarily have the exact same experience as you just because you're broke right now doesn't mean everybody is so um just push through that's that's a big one yeah uh, i think many musicians will set up these sales funnels thinking i'm selling to other musicians and so oh you know they'll tolerate a five dollar tripwire and a fifteen dollar upsell and i'm going where is your advertising money going to come from if you set up your funnel that way? <laughs> it's not going to mm-hmm. work. Uh, that's an area where definitely coaching is is needed. But yeah, if you that, if you think that people are going to pay what you're willing to pay, different. Like think about who your audience is. Same with music. Like I, I had an artist recently sit, share, hey, here's my music. What do you think about it? And I said, well, did you write it for me? No. Oh, well, my opinions don't matter. I'm so glad you said that. That's so true. <laughs> Uh, I experienced that. I was just like hitting my head against the wall every time I would manage an artist. And they're like, just tell me what you think. I sent it to 12 people and I got mixed reviews. I'm like, yeah, because they're all different people. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, who cares? Just just release it. Um, just put it out there. Just because one person doesn't like it or one person doesn't have money for a coaching offer or one person doesn't see the value in your course doesn't mean shit. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. So just... Just realize that everybody's kind of different and just own what you're really good at and what you um, are passionate about. And the rest will really fall into place. The fourth element is scaling what's working with marketing. And I can see how we need a pretty clear idea of what it is, in fact, working for that to even be a possibility. So there has to be some tracking there. But what does this look like in practice? Yeah. Number four, scaling what works with marketing is important. And it's important because it's last, okay? Too many creatives in general go straight to the marketing. They don't know what their offer is, truly, like in a deep way. They don't really have any content out there and knows that they don't know what works. And they have no idea how to sell. Yet they think dumping thousands of dollars into marketing is magically going to solve their problem. (laughs) No, that's why I said scale what works, not what you think is going to work post some content, work with a coach who has like, oh, cool, here's this framework for this marketing um, strategy that has worked for us. It'll probably work for you. That way you can actually recoup your money faster instead of throwing it down the drain for a $5 item. Um, And it's also important to have that high ticket, some kind of a high ticket thing. When you're thinking, you know, you keep talking about like marketing funnels and I love that, but it's like, so many creatives want to start with the low ticket course mm-hmm. and it's going to take years for you to make that money back. Yeah. It's Trust me, it takes thousands and thousands of dollars per day to get traction for somebody to even buy a $5 thing or like a free training. Start high. And that value ladder, you start high. There's not a lot of people who are going to, going to get that $5,000 item, but start there and do that organically, figure out what works have a mid-tier item, have a low-tier item, and then slowly like trickle down your, your marketing dollars that way. Um, so with marketing, it's not the magic pill everybody thinks it is. Is It's just, I look at it like this. The first three things we talked about is you building the small fire. You've got the sticks. You, you finally started the fire. It's starting to get warmer. The marketing is just the gasoline you pour on it to make it ablaze. So if there's no fire built, there's there's going to be no need for the gasoline and you're just going to waste time and money. So 
You want to make sure that you've got these other three things in place before you spend a dime. I mean, some of our clients never spend ads. I've helped clients, you know, make thousands of dollars and they've just sent emails to their existing audience and posted a couple of times on Instagram and never spent a dime on marketing. So you don't have to have it, but if you want to scale, pour the gasoline on. My awareness around this has really grown in the last few years. I've had multiple books and I mean, book royalties are great. I've been fortunate that I've been able to sell hundreds of copies and continue to sell them every month. But the reality is no one's getting rich off of book royalties, folks. <laughs> um, right. You know, you, if you self-publish, you might make a little bit more than you would on, on a traditional publisher, but then you also sacrifice some marketing. So it, it's kind of take one or, or leave one. It's six, six of one, half dozen of, of the other. And yeah, it became really important for us to have mid-tier and high-tier offers. Some of my team were uncomfortable with that. They're just like, you know, I've I've been through these long webinar sales funnel presentations, sales letters. And, you know, at the end, they were like, oh, by the way, the course is $3,000. Like, I, I didn't, I felt really, really like ugly. I felt bad if, having sat through all of that and coming to the point, like I felt it was slimy, right? And, I, and I'm like, it was not for you. And they're like, yeah, I know. But and I'm like, no, no, it, that course is not for you. It's for people who really need that support and, and who touched on those, all those emotional points. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not personal. Right. And that's why we have to set up our own high ticket offers too. I, I understand it's making you feel uncomfortable. I also understand why I've come across stuff like that too, that I really wanted that I couldn't buy, but we can't all just run out and buy a Lamborghini tomorrow either. So you do need a good product mix. Yeah, that's a good point. That's what I was going to bring up. Do they feel bad? Do they feel like Gucci is slimy for selling $6,000 bags? What right. about Apple? Those 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 phones cost like nothing and you're paying two, two grand for the souped up, the most souped up MacBook and iPhone. Do you think they are slimy? I mean, maybe they do, but it's just about the emotion behind it. Gucci, BMW, Apple, they don't sell stuff. They sell a lifestyle. They actually sell an emotion. So like you said, if that it makes them feel slimy because they sat through this sales letter and then at the end, it's like a high ticket, that just means they're not in a place to buy it and they're just not the right consumer for that. And that's okay. But yeah, you were thinking of, of creating something like that. You're also going to get people who are like, wow, how can, how, how in the world can you justify spend, you know, charging thousands of dollars for this? It's like, well. Sorry, <laughs> it is what it is. Just, you're not the customer then. Keep it moving. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. Uh, it is human nature, right? But people are are contradictory all the time. Uh, people are like, "Oh, I have a minimum wage job and I can't really spend much money." Meanwhile, they're carrying around the latest 17 inch MacBook with all the mm -hmm. frills. So you know that's like five, six, seven grand, maybe more than that, and. I'm still sitting here. I'm having an interview right now with Evan and people don't know this, but like, this is a 2015 MacBook. The battery doesn't work anymore. There's no hard drive space and there's a crack across the LCD screen. And I'm still using the 2015 <laughs> MacBook because being frugal and knowing where to spend and knowing where to spend generously really can create movement in what you want to create. I mean, sitting next to that is a 2019 Asus, and this thing's okay too, but also a 13 inch and crack screen. So, you know, yeah, just know I think where to the spend. big piece. I think the big piece is too is like some people 
are okay with seeming more successful than actually being successful. Yeah. They'd rather, you know, be, be dripped in Louis Vuitton and, and Nike sneakers instead of spending that same amount of money to learn a skill and get their life to where they want. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's just your journey. You are, you value that more than the, you know, the tough stuff, which is cool. Maybe I need to, um, you know, buy Reeboks they're not much cheaper, buy Payless shoes and used computers and go to Kohl's instead. So I can afford this mm-hmm. coaching program to help me with my goals. That's okay. That's your journey. That's not necessarily everybody's. So put that on everybody else's life. Some people just want to yeah. look more successful and actually be successful. And that's a shame, unfortunately. Definitely. No, people don't have to follow my example. I'm like an expert problem solver. I drive 10 year old cars. <laughs> You're frugal. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, some people, some people have questions around that, right? It's like, oh, you don't have the appearances of being super successful. And it's like, yeah, you know, but I'm accomplished for sure. Yeah. Best-selling author, award-winning composer, decade-plus podcaster. Do I need to go on? I have so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and one more thing on the marketing stuff. Yeah. Same with content and your social platforms and like where you're putting your attention. You don't need to like run all of these different ads. You know, Hmm. I think people get stuck in like what the greats are doing. Like, oh, I see this person that's 10 steps ahead of me running 400 different types of ads. So that means I have to do that right now. You're on a different level than that person. That doesn't mean you have to like mimic them exactly. Um, what I've seen is just like one or two really good ad sets um, to the right audience with the right message is really all you need. You don't need to spend, you know, five grand plus a month or a day on all of these different ads just to like test a bunch of stuff. You can do that if you want, if you can afford to do that, but really finding the marketing, like I say here, the marketing that works and doubling down on that until it breaks. And then you can move on to something else. So I guess with all four of these, the biggest takeaway here is a motto that we've embraced here at Ars Collective, which is do less better. Hmm. You don't have to do all the stuff. You don't have to focus on all the offers, all the platforms, all the skills, all of the marketing things. Just do less and you'll actually find more success because and you'll actually find a lot less stress too, because you're not as overwhelmed. So um, it's my final piece on the, on the marketing thing, right? Just, just find what works. You don't have to be everywhere. Just, just find what works for you. We might have to have you back on to talk more about marketing for sure. Cause this is some really, really great stuff. It helps people home in on what they actually need to do, but I can tell you that's exactly what I've been doing lately. It's like, Probably two or three weeks ago, I had this idea of expanding and let's launch another website and turn it into a new site. And then let's have that support the other projects that we're doing. And then two weeks in, I was like, you know, I can dedicate all my time creating content for that and then finding more people to create content for that and then invest more money into having content created for that. Or I could just say, we don't, it's a new site. We did it for two weeks. It was fun. Good experiment. Let's just leave it right now until. There is a team in place to support the project rather than me being the one to support the whole project. So I'm like, I'm pairing back for sure. Um, what mm-hmm. I'm good at, what I'm good at and what I want to focus on is content creation, marketing, everything else. I think it's time 
that I either find someone else to do it or automate it and step back from all the stuff that I either don't want to do or I'm not good at. Oh yeah. Out, outsourcing has been my best friend recently as we start to scale and you know, we'll leave that, we'll leave that for, um, we'll leave that for part two of our part combo, two. which would be number five. If you really want to scale your creative business, that fifth element, fifth element, <laughs> that fifth <laughs> element is outsource. Start to outsource mm. the stuff that you can no, you no longer have energy for as a business owner, as a CEO of your own life, your own business start to outsource that. Does that mean AI? Does that mean some dude on Fiverr from, you know, the middle of nowhere? Does that mean actually hire someone on? Could take a lot of different forms and we can talk about that at a different time, but that would that's what I would say would be number 5. Start to outsource, start to take things off your plate so you can just double down on what you love to do. Yeah. And I know I'm aware of a ton of options too because the last 2 years of my life have been intensely focused on team I'm taking a program that's all about leadership and teams. So I can definitely contribute lots to that conversation. Yeah. Let's move quickly through. I mean, your answers can be as long as or as short as you like, but the the segment of the podcast we lovingly and definitely tongue-in-cheek called not the Tim Ferriss segment. <laughs> I think I was podcasting before he was, mind you. Um <laughs> what was the last YouTube video you watched? Mm like a full-on like long-form youtube video oh it could be it could be short it could be some tutorial you you uh, yeah i'll give you i'll give you two i'll give you two um i watch a lot of alex hermosi shorts I, th hmm. I think his are really good he gives really punchy advice that 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 speaks to me specifically in sales and marketing and, and team building um not necessarily in the fitness space but i just really really look up to him um long-form content I'm actually going on a trip to Colombia in a couple of weeks and I've been watching a lot of travel videos on just like what to do and what not to do and hmm. things like that. Um, I'm still kind of dipping my toe in that, but a lot of travel stuff, so many people on YouTube talking yeah. about travel. It's, it's cool to see. I'm like, cool. You guys go get it. You're getting your money. Just like having the time of your lives, like jealous. <laughs> um, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If I had more time, I would be posting about my travels too. Yeah, you said you're a nomad. That's really cool. We've got a member of our team who's head of sales and marketing. He's been a digital nomad for uh, about a year now. Mexico City, he was in South Africa for a while, um, going to Colombia. So that's cool. I have to connect you guys. That's a that's a very rare thing to find. Mm, it's true. No, I would love that. Um, someone that was on our podcast much earlier, Greg Wilmau. He's also digital nomad. And as I understand it, I mean, he went all across Europe, but uh, I think currently living out of a tiny home, traveling all over the States. So that's, that's really cool too. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. What, what is your daily routine like, Kevin? Daily routine, try to get up early, six yeah. or so, go to the gym. I like to do that first thing. Take a little walk if it's nice. Chicago's been super cold, so it sucks. Um, then I come back and I make some make some food and I tackle my my tasks. I like I like to do the outcome process goal um, system. 
So what I'll do just at the beginning of the year, I'll do this. And I'll also like um, do this like every quarter. I'll look at like, what are my big outcome goals? Like, what's the big thing I want to achieve? One, one or two things that I want to happen, whether it's like meet a revenue goal or, you know, post this much on content or hit this metric or whatever. Then I'll create smaller bite-sized chunks that I call process goals that help me get to that outcome. So the outcome is the big, sexy thing that you'd call your mom and be like, mom, I did it. I made it. You know, I released a book or whatever. That'd be a, an outcome goal for you. And then yeah. the process goals are the, the small ones that nobody really cares about, but are actually the most important. So cool. I want to write a book. Let's say let's write a process would be, I want to write a page every single day, right? What's the next process? Oh, I, I want to interview somebody for a, for a piece in the book. I want to, you know, send five emails to affiliates that can help me promote the book, all the things that need to happen to help you with that big outcome. So what I'll do is I'll come back home and try to tackle those process goals that I have. Uh, they're usually written on my board right here. It's interesting too, because like organic sales were much easier, or maybe I was just doing more of the right things in 2015 versus now. It's like, it takes considerably more promotion to cut through the noise and, and get people's attention. That's kind of mm -hmm. what, what I've noticed lately. Not that that's a surprise. We always knew that it was a content warfare situation, not a, you know, civil, peaceful gathering of people creating stuff. A peaceful gathering. <laughs> <laughs> May have been in the early days of Google, but not now. Mm -hmm. What's the greatest challenge you've overcome? I think the greatest challenge I've overcome is realizing that I don't have to be a solopreneur forever. You know, for the longest time, I was reluctant to find a team and to build people um, around me who wanted a similar goal. Like, you know, that thought when, you, when you're in your early 20s and you're just like, it's easier if I just do it myself, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It takes a little bit more time up front to train them and to like get them, you know, in, you know, uh, in, inside your culture, if you will. But in the long term, it's really, really going to help you. You can only do things by yourself for so long. So that was a big internal struggle I had. I mean, I had this business for 10 years and over half of that, it was just like, you know, essentially solo. And I felt it, you know, um, you can only do that for so long. So, you know, got to go on your own journey and, and, you know, whether that means hit rock bottom or whatever, but You've got to bring people in to help you if you really want to do what this whole podcast is about today, which is scale. You can't scale solo. You just really can't. Very relatable. Uh, much earlier in the lifespan of this podcast, because I mean, we are almost up to 300 episodes. I talked to my coach, James Schramko, and you can hear me asking him about how to set up a team and how to get over mental blocks around creating a team. It's like a therapy session that you got to listen in on. So if you want to go back to listen to that one, he's got some great tips too. Cool. Yeah. What's the greatest victory you've experienced? You know, we talked about like changing our relationship with money. And I think yeah. for the longest time, that was me, you know, never really, I'm not, I don't want to say I didn't never valued money. I just had an interesting relationship with money. It didn't, it didn't drive me. And it still isn't really what drives me. But I think that in turn, kept me from actually making money 
because I was reluctant to go high ticket. I was reluctant to sell. I was just like, no, money's money's not a thing. I don't care. It's like, cool. And I just continued to stay broke in my business. So I think the big biggest success was not only facing that head on and like changing my relationship with finances and revenue and finally hitting that goal that a lot of creatives and artists that I talk to want to hit, which is making six figures doing what you love. Again, Mm -hmm. on paper, it looks cool and sexy and awesome. And in reality, it's just like, oh, cool. Like what's next? But I think it was a big victory for me and my team to finally hit that and be like, okay, we're just creative coaches and and we're 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 making this money that we thought we were going to make as engineers or whatever. So, I think that was a big win for us for me as well. I love that. That's awesome. And it really it is like it's the biggest goal for a lot of people. Are there any books that have helped you on your journey? Yeah. Um a lot. I really like Building a Story Brand by um yeah. Donald Miller. Donald Miller. Incredible. Um I actually I also read a lot of like mindfulness books. Um, a lot of Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. um, Power, Power of Now really changed me. Jay Shetty's new book is really great. Think like a monk. So mm-hmm. I like to read a lot of that. I'm like a good balance of mindfulness and like business go-getter. You know what I mean? So um, I think you need that balance. You don't, you don't want to just be like, sell, sell, sell. You actually want to look inward as well. So it's that balance of internal, external, yin and yang. But yeah, I think those are some of the top three, three or four. Couldn't quite explain it myself, but yeah, I always felt that the spiritual journey was as important as the business journey, that somehow they were complementary and that you needed one or the other to really get where you want to go. And so I've always tended towards a lot of stuff like that too. The Alchemist, mm-hmm. one of the best books of all time, I'm sure. <laughs> Wayne like, Dyer's Power. My buddy has recommended that for a while and I it's in my queue, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like once you pick it up, you probably can't put it down anyway. So just pick your moment. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for your time and generosity, Evan. Is there anything else I should have asked? No, I feel I feel good. I appreciate your time too. This has been great. Great chat. Sweet. Uh, where's your website? Yeah. You can find us at, at artistcollect.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram mainly. Shoot me a DM. You want to chat. You want to talk about what we do. You just want to talk about what you do because we know what's in it for you, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can find me at AC underscore Evan is my uh, IG tag. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you. So if you enjoyed this episode of the New Music Industry Podcast, I don't know how much longer this is going to be around, so get it while you can, because when it's gone, it's gone. The Music Entrepreneur Companion Guide is still available for free. Go to musicentrepreneurhq.com slash free book. This has been episode 298 of the New Music Industry Podcast. I'm David Andrew Weep, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thanks for listening. The opening theme, closing theme, and closing segment ambient music was created by Brian Bob Young. If other music was used in this episode, it's credited in the show notes at musicentrepreneurhq.com. Please leave us a rating and review in iTunes to help us spread the word about the show. Thank you.